Career Day Live is a Stop Clowning Around production. You can learn how Stop Clowning Around helps people succeed in life and career by mastering the art of connection and relationships by visiting StopClowningAround.com or Facebook.com forward slash StopClowningAround. If you find yourself looking forward and feel conflicted, yeah, you have a desire for this successful career, but you also have a desire for significance, and you just want to make a difference for others, and you don't quite see how you can do both, well, this episode is for you. Wesley Sargent outlines a career in the military reserves. And he shares how what started as him signing up to serve has ultimately served him and his family. Wes, I want to thank you for joining Career Day Live and being willing to share with the listening audience a little bit about your career. I never like to steal anyone's thunder, so I'm actually going to toss the ball to you today and say, tell us your role and a little bit about how you got there. Sure. Thanks a lot, Scott, for asking me. Um, so, you know, my role right now is I'm a soldier in the Army Reserve, and I've been doing that for almost 33 years. And I just recently got promoted and entered a new position. And so kind of laying that out, it, it can be a little complicated, but uh, my title uh, my rank is that I'm a colonel in the Army Reserve, and um, so I am Colonel Sergeant. Everybody likes to kind of joke about how funny that sounds, being in the military. Um, I recently joined a unit which is based in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it's a Sustainment Command Expeditionary. Uh, for short, we like to use acronyms in the military a lot. We call it the ESC. And my role there is as the support operations officer. And it's really a new position for me. Um, I'm still kind of learning a lot about it. Uh, but what the sustainment command would do is in a theater of war, um, we make sure that everything that's distributed into that theater comes through. We're tracking it. And that's really my role as the support operations officer is to manage that distribution and to oversee that and to be able to report to the general who's the commander of the ESC, you know, this is what's going on. Um, but, you know, that's, again, a new role for me. And as I said, I've been in the Army Reserve for 33 years, so I've done a lot of things during that time. Um, I started as a private, and, you know, over the course of your career, the opportunities are somewhat endless. Um, so as a private, I was enlisted. I always had a goal to become an officer. And so after about 10 and a half years of being enlisted, I was able to go to officer candidate school and get commissioned as an officer. Um, and I've been now commissioned for 22 years, which I've completely enjoyed. Um, you know, and I would say that being in the Army Reserve, of course, um, it's not what I do full time. 
but as I got further into what I was doing for the Army, um, I really enjoyed what I do, and it does become a major part of your life um, that I'm always thinking about or doing things for, um, even when I'm not serving on that one week in a month that's typically talked about. Well, Wes, if I can stop you right now, I'd like to ask really one of the first questions that jumps to my mind. I think young people, when they think military, they think automatically of the the major branches of service. But can you break down the difference of what I would call full-time military, I don't know the proper term, and and, and then military reserve, or I know each branch has their own, but Break that down for us a little bit of what what the differences are. Sure. So if you're full-time military, we typically call that the active component. And what I do is in the reserve component. And so the active component, that is your job 24-7, 365 days a year. You are serving in that role. And um, if the military needs you, if our country needs you on, say, a Saturday night at 2100 hours, as we would call it, um, typically we refer to that as 9 p.m. in the civilian side, then you're there, you're working, you're doing what the military needs you to do at 9 o'clock at night or at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, 24 7, again, that's what you're doing. Now, you know, nobody can work 24 hours around the clock, so you do get time off and, and all that. But that's the gist of the active component versus the reserve side is more of a strategic force that the nation can call upon when needed, um, sometimes in times of war and sometimes in times of national disaster. For example, that's a big role for the National Guard, which is also um, one of those reserve components. And the National Guard would respond to calls from, say, from the governor of Missouri if there was flood issues or things going on that they needed a response which was just isolated to that state. Um, People that are in the reserve component or National Guard, they usually have a full-time job, a civilian job. It may be related to what they do in the military, but it doesn't have to be. And you typically would serve one week in a month and usually about 15 days in the year you would serve sequentially. Um, you know, we usually call it our two-week annual training. Sometimes that would be going to a school. Sometimes it would be serving with your unit and going somewhere. I've gone on my annual trainings over the years. I've gone everywhere from, you know, here stateside in Louisiana, California, uh, Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. But I've also done three-week annual trainings where I've gone to Germany and Korea as well. So those are great opportunities if you serve in the reserve component to be able to get outside of the United States, um, depending on what your unit's mission may be. Now, Wes, uh, is it a requirement to serve as an active member of the military in order to be in the reserves? It's actually not. Um, Most people who serve in the active component, when they join, they may join for a four-year enlistment, but that contract usually is four years enlistment of active component, and they can continue in the active component if they want to at the end of the four years. 
But if they decide at the end of four years they'd like to get out, they typically still have a four-year reserve commitment. But myself, I joined at the age of 17. I was a senior in high school, and I went directly into the reserve component when I joined. And I've always served in the reserve component, even though there have been times where I've been on active duty. Um, I, I say active duty, which is different than saying active component, because even when I'm on active duty, on orders, again, 365 days, 24-7, I'm on active duty, but I'm not in the active component. I'm still in the Army Reserve. I'm still in the reserve component. I'm just serving full-time if the nation needs me to do that. That's awesome. And now, Wes, I want to go back to when you were 17. If you can go back that far. I know, actually, you recently had a birthday. I won't tell everybody yeah. how uh, what year that is. But 17 <laughs> was a while ago. And the right. question I have, if we can just summarize it, what drove that decision, though? Why would you, at the age of 17, decide to join the reserve? Um. Well, there's a few different things. One, I grew up in a military family. My dad served in the active component of the United States Air Force. My mom served in the reserve component of the United States Air Force. So I had those role models already. I'd already, as a child, traveled and lived in Italy and Germany. And so I knew what the military was about, and it intrigued me to follow in those footsteps of my parents. Um, the other part was I through high school, had a poster up on my wall, and it was uh, a guy who was all camouflaged up and geared up, and he looked really hua, and it was about recruiting for the ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps uh, program, where you would become a commissioned officer, and I kind of had that as a goal for myself, as becoming a commissioned officer at some time. And then th the real big driver was um, I wanted to go to college. And that's always a selling point with the military and things that recruiters will talk to young people about is, here's what the military can do for you to help you pay for college. And that's what I saw and a big driver for why I went the reserve component is, you know, I could serve that one week in a month. I could continue to go to college, get my degree. And they didn't pay for everything, but it sure did help out a lot to get the paycheck and get some of the extra benefits that I got. Um, GI Bill, loan repayment program, things like that that helped me get through school and um, for it not to cost me as much out of my own pocket. For sure. Now, now Wes, I want to let the listener know that this is going to be uh, posting out around Veterans Day here in 2019. I say that because I want to thank you for your years of service to our country. Along that line, though, I think there's many listeners that may be understanding that the Reserve really does offer an opportunity to pursue career, not necessarily active military, but still pursue a dream career they have, yet also offer a component of being able to serve the country. Am I fully understanding that correctly? Yes, Scott, that's correct. Um, you know, as I said, I joined so that I could go to college. Um, I, I went to college and completed both a bachelor's and a master's degree and, you know, started working in the field of my choice, which was architecture. And at the same time, I was serving as an enlisted soldier doing that one week in a month and, you know, got promoted over the years to sergeant 
and then staff sergeant, and that was the rank I was when I went to officer candidate school. Now, I did take some time away from my full-time job when I went to officer candidate school. That's about a three-month-long school. Um, but, you know, I've been able to, over the years, figure out ways and work with employers to balance both my civilian career and my Army Reserve career. And because I'm in architecture, I'll admit that there's times when the economy drives construction and whether there's construction happening or not drives whether architects are employed or not. And so there's been times where it hasn't been the greatest economy. And the great thing is that I've been able to fall back on my reserve career and find ways to use that um, if I didn't have you know, the ability to work in architecture, I would find ways to work full-time some, at some points in my career for the Army Reserve and use what I obtained through that on-the-job training, essentially, to help build the career that I have today. And, you know, I think the other part of it is the military is always about teaching people how to be leaders. And it doesn't matter whether you're a private or a sergeant or a lieutenant, a captain, um, or a colonel, the military is always teaching people how to lead well. And those are the kind of things that employers look for in people is, can you be a leader? Can you make good decisions? Do you have initiative? Do you, um, you know, come to work on time every day? And so those are the things that the military instills in you that then you can parlay into being a great employee or maybe even running your own business at some point in your life if that's what you would like to do. You know, Wes, it kind of occurs to me that you made a decision at the age of 17 to serve the country. I've had the opportunity to know you personally probably for 10 to 12 years at this point. And it really seems at this point in your career, the military has done as much to serve you as you've done to serve them. I I would completely agree with you, Scott. Um, you know, I've made a lot of sacrifice. And you mentioned, you know, thanking me for my service. And I just want to thank you and your listeners for their support of the military. It's always important to us. And... You know, um, there, there's just been a lot of opportunities open and afforded to me and doors that open. Um, as I mentioned, you know, when the economy turned in 2008 and I, at the time during that summer, I was on active duty. I was at Fort Knox. I was a company commander and I was there on a 180 day tour running a basic training company. I got the privilege to take 240 civilians and turn the majority of them into soldiers and to lead, you know, drill sergeants that turn them into soldiers. And unfortunately, you know, that was the time that our economy turned. And when I came home from that, I found that, you know, it just wasn't a good time to be working in architecture. And so I didn't have a job when I returned. And those kind of things happen. But, you know, um, at that time, I found a position at United States Transportation Command, which is just across the river from us here in St. Louis, 
and I got on orders, and I worked there and was able to work there for three years. Um, I was promoted while I was there and made a really good income and, and you know, was able to take care of my family and contributed a lot to their mission and what they do at United States Transportation Command or what we call uh, U.S. Transcom. But I then parlayed what I learned from that in defining the position I have on the civilian side today where I worked for the VA hospital here in St. Louis, and I started with them in 2012 after my three years at Transcom. Um, I started as a project manager related to construction because that's what I did for Transcom. They were building new buildings, so I was able to use my civilian skills as an architect to help my military career. At the same time, you know, the military career provided me that opportunity and then I was able to take all of that and find a position with the VA hospital here in St. Louis and started as a project manager and eventually was able to get promoted again because I think a big part of it was I had the leadership ability that the military had given me to, you know, put myself in a position where I was promotable at the VA and now I'm the chief of facilities engineering here at um, VA St. Louis healthcare system. That's an amazing run, and it's interesting to look at the story of really how, how it seems like two career directions have perfectly merged over time, over a journey, but due to the skills that you have received on both sides, the leadership that, that you've taken uh, to heart and developed, it's like this perfect come together of the career. I, I'm not sure you could be in a better role at this point in life. No, I, you're exactly correct, Scott. I mean, you know, we're we're both um, Christians, and so we believe in God and what He does for us, and how He looks after us. And you know, I really honestly believe that He's blessed me and put me in the right spot, even at times where it seems like you know you lose a job, that's not the best day of your life. Um, but even through that, you can't see the end from the beginning. And yet, pretty much seven years from the time I lost that job in 2008, it was almost to the day seven years later when I was promoted into the position I'm in now with the VA as the chief of facility engineering. And, you know, at the beginning, I can't see all the steps it's going to take to put me where I am today. Um, but looking back seven years later, when I was promoted in 2015 to this position, you kind of see how all those pieces fell into place and how all of it played a role between, you know, being in the military and having the opportunities I had at Transcom um, to opening the doors that I got at the VA and the opportunities that were afforded to me there. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'll tell young people, um, you don't always know where life is going to take you. Sometimes all you can see is that next step, and you just, in faith, take that step and see where it leads you. And sometimes it leads you to the loss of a job, per se. But you just keep taking the next step after that. And, you know, if when I graduated from my master's program and had a master's degree in architecture and then a, years later got licensed as an architect. If you had told me, you know, one day you're going to be in charge of facility engineering at the VA hospital, 
I would have thought that was a really good joke. <laughs> um, but, you know, today, um, there's nothing else that I'd want to do. Um, because one, I'll, I'll say it this way, Scott, that, you know, I'm a veteran, right? As we talked about, I, I've served for almost 33 years. So, you know, you talked about my age earlier. Those of you that are paying attention, I joined when I was 17. I've served almost 33 years. So you can figure out how old I am. But um, I'm a veteran. And so to have the opportunity to now, as a veteran, and still continuing to serve in the Army Reserve, come to work every day as a civilian, but be able to serve other veterans who are here in the St. Louis area who come to the VA for their medical care and their health care. And, you know, I don't see them directly every day. I see them in the hallways. I direct them to different clinics at times. If they appear like they need some direction, I'll help out. I'm not the one that's taking them into the exam room, though, and providing them health care. But, you know, what we do in facilities engineering is make sure that we're maintaining the facilities that they do receive their health care in and that we're renovating them and providing them the best facilities that we can. Um, so that for me is an awesome thing that every day I get to serve my fellow brothers and sisters in arms and people that have gone before me. You know, we still serve veterans from the World War II era, the Korean War era, the Vietnam War era, and veterans that I've served with during the Desert Storm area era and, you know, even through um, the global war on terror. And so for me, that's the satisfaction that I get to have every day. And it's what drives me to get up in the morning and come to work. And I'm really passionate about it. I love what I do, Scott. Well, and you know, I already mentioned earlier, I appreciate your service, but I appreciate the VA as well. Um, I think you're aware that my father served in Vietnam, and th th at this time, uh, he struggles from some pretty severe disabilities due to his service, quite frankly. And I am so thankful. My entire family's thankful for the VA and the services that are provided to him. I'm not sure that my parents would actually be able to afford his care that he receives. And uh, the, again, everyone stepped up and, and, and served back. In appreciation for their, for his service uh, in the early days of life. Wes, I, I actually want to jump to one thing here. You know, I, I'm able to see the time that we're on the call, and I always get a little frustrated at this point because I know we're we're losing time. There's not a whole lot more to that that we get to talk about. So I want to jump specifically to maybe a young person that might be listening to this, and and they're listening because maybe they're just trying to figure out their way, and. As we have talked today, as I've, I've heard you, the reserve strikes me as a way of maybe helping me figure things out, yet still not committing to that full-fledged active military career. Could you talk to that at all, maybe to that young person who's just still trying to figure life out? What does the reserve offer to them? Sure. I think the biggest thing is, if, you know, you, you don't really know what you want to do in life. You're going to take a test with your recruiter. It's going to show you where your strengths are. And based on that, your recruiter should be able to talk to you about different career paths that would be available to you in the military. 
and you might find something that you never knew you had an interest in that you're qualified to, you know, sign a contract for and get into that career field. And it may turn out to be something that you so much enjoy, even as a reserve soldier, that at a later point you might decide, I'd like to join the active component and do that full time. Um, for myself, you know, I mentioned being an architect and in the Army we have engineers, but I'm not an Army engineer. And a lot of people always ask me throughout my career, um, why did you not go down that path? And I said, you know, I wanted to diversify a little bit. I may not have used that word, but I wanted to diversify a little bit and uh, find something different. And so what I got into as an enlisted soldier was what they call quartermaster, which is simply supply. Um, I worked, my first unit was at a helicopter unit, Scott Air Force Base, just across the river from St. Louis on the Illinois side. And I worked in this Black Hawk helicopter unit in the warehouse in the supply. And later, as I became an officer, I was branched as an ordnance officer, which has to deal with maintenance and uh, ammunition. And as I moved up and was promoted as an officer, an ordnance officer eventually becomes what they call a logistics officer, which is a really fancy word for supply. Um, so, you know, I think that it just opens up a world for you where you can investigate a lot of different things. Um, you can try things out and you can continue to go to school and see, you know, where your interests lie. And you get to meet a lot of different people, you know, that when you build those relationships with them, you know, that could also spark an interest in an area that you never thought you would be involved in. If if I can, let's talk about those people. So over 33 years, I am making an assumption that you have met a lot of different people. Yeah. I'm also assuming that of those people you've met, the variety of careers that they come from to come together and serve during their weekends and, and, and that two-week period, I, I would assume the variety is pretty vast. Is that correct? Definitely. Um, you know, I I worked as a as a first lieutenant. I became a company commander, and my first sergeant, who's your right hand as a company commander, he worked here in St. Louis at the Chrysler plant, you know, putting automobiles together. That was his full-time job. Um, I've worked with other NCOs, what we call NCOs, non-commissioned officers, typically sergeants, um, one of whom was in the construction industry where he owned his own business as a general contractor. Um, you know, myself, when I joined, of course, as I said, I was going to college. I worked at um, Target for a time, you know, um, stocking shelves. Um, you know, you have young people that are doing that. They're just working their way through college and um, those kind of things. Sometimes you have women who are serving in the Army Reserve, who that might be the only thing they do outside of the home. They are homemakers, but they also serve in the Army Reserve. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty diverse. Um, people are involved in a lot of different things. Teachers, you know, engineers, um, you name it. There's people in the Reserve that serve in just about every field and every community 
around the nation. So white collar, blue collar, any collar comes together to serve. Definitely. That's and awesome. That's the Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I mean, a lot of times you'll have people who serve in the medical field as clinicians, doctors, nurses, all that, and that's what they do in the reserve component as well because um, it's an easy transition. But there's some people who, you know, they may make uh, on a drill weekend, they may be, you know, what we call a specialist, which is the rank right below a sergeant. They might be a sergeant and, you know, you're the lieutenant, let's say. And so you outrank them and you on the Army side might make more money than them, but money's not the biggest driver in life. But on the civilian side, you know, they may own their own business and make a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year, but they serve in the Army Reserve because they enjoy it. They want to serve their country. And so although they're not making a lot of money, it doesn't make a big difference for them if they're making those kind of salaries, but they continue to do it. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say that's typical, but it does happen at times. Right. Well, let's let's actually go ahead and take that, that corner, and I don't need specifics, but, you know, some are doing it for the satisfaction, and actually I would think most are doing it for the satisfaction of, of serving, but what are the financial benefits of serving in the reserve, uh, whether it be daily, monthly, or that long-term benefit? Uh, and again, I'm not looking for specifics, Wes, but just generalities. What are the financial benefits one can gain? Yeah. Um, you know, I actually, I did look up some of the numbers and I uh, looked them up more so um, from the active component side. But I, I will say this, you know, I still remember when I joined in 1987 and I got my first paycheck from uh, a weekend I think after deductions and taxes and all that, you know, and again, we're going back 30 plus years. Um, I, I think I cleared about $87 for two days. Um, <laughs> so, so it's not all but, about the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, the thing is, um, when you do a drill weekend, is that's kind of the way you say, you know, that weekend that you're doing, we call it battle assembly now, that's the more accurate name, but it's still referred to as drill weekend. Um, you know, the way the military works that is you're actually paid four days of pay um, for that weekend. So while you work two days, you get paid four days. And when you do your annual training, it's still one day for one day. Um, you know, so I would say like a brand new private coming in, um, their monthly salary is about $1,700, which works out to 20000 a year, and that's active component. So if you're in the reserves and you're an E1, you know, you're going to make about half that for that two-week period. So, you know, about $850 in two weeks. Um, and, if you break that down to a drill weekend, you might make a couple hundred dollars. Um, but that's just joining, you know, just getting in. And those first few ranks, um, you can move up pretty quickly. Um, somebody who comes in as a private E1, um, within a few months, I think it's about four to six months, they can get 
promoted to E2, and then I think about six months after that, E3. And really within two years, if you are a go-getter and do all the schooling that you need to, within about two to three years, you can be promoted to E5, which is a sergeant. And at that point, you know, you're making pretty good money. Uh, for that two-week period, you may, you would make about $1,200. Um, so on a drill weekend, you might make about $400. So it can kind of be that extra income that a family needs to maybe take that vacation or do that little extra thing uh, that maybe yeah. the day-to-day job doesn't pay for. Would that be fair? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, somebody like me who's been in for a while, um, you know, it's it, it's more than just a little bit of money, of course, a lot of responsibility, um, but it's really an additional income that, you know, again, I'm I'm probably working more than two days a month. I'm doing more than just that one week in a month because of my responsibilities. But it would be really hard for me to go out and find a part-time job that was equitable to what I make. Um, you know, and and it's probably been that way for quite some time as well. Right. You know? And I'll say that you know, if you are motivated and you want to become an officer, you know, I would encourage you to do that. Join enlisted. Try it out. I mean, I people that are enlisted that I serve with that are, you know, privates and sergeants, and they know because I'm very transparent and let them know that hey, I used to be enlisted. I I know you know what it's like to serve at that capacity. They appreciate the fact when their officers, the people that are leading them, have that better understanding. So I encourage people to enlist. Try that, and if you really are motivated and want to become an officer. Work towards your degree, get your degree, and then go through a commissioning program. You you can do ROTC while you're getting your degree. You can get your degree as I did, and then I went to officer candidate school. There's other direct commissioning programs as well, you know, and that's a great way to boost your income. But it's not just that income that you're making while you're serving. I'm building a retirement. I'm going to get a retirement from the Army Reserve at some point when I retire and turn 60 years old, you know, I'm going to get a fairly nice retirement in addition to what I'm building on my civilian career as well. So I, I like that diversity um, as well when it comes to finances. You you know me, you know I'm a big finance guy <laughs> and you are too, you know, so don't put all your eggs in one basket is, you know, my theory. So I've got that extra retirement egg being built out there through my service and the Army Reserve. And that's something that I, you know, really appreciate and am grateful for as well. You you answered that well, and I was hoping you would cover all of that. So again, I appreciate the transparency, Wes. I have one yeah. final question, and really we're past our time, but this has been a great conversation. With the one final question, I'm a person who's interested in maybe joining the reserve. What should I do? Yeah. So, you know, the big thing that I hear all the time is the reason, number one reason why someone can't join the military, and I'm talking active component, reserve component, is physical fitness. Um, It's a problem nationwide, and it's a problem that our recruiters run into all the time, is finding people that are physically fit. And you don't have to be in the best shape to join, but, you know, you got to be able to take care of yourself and pass certain things to get in. So, I would say work really hard at that. 
Um, you're going to want to meet with rec a recruiter, and I would encourage you to meet with a recruiter from every component. You know, the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and talk to all of them and see what they have to offer. And you're going to have to take a test, what's called the ASVAB. That's another acronym. I couldn't tell you what it stands for, but it's kind of like taking your SATs. Um, you you have to take that test. It might take three or four hours at the most, and you'll get a score. And based on that, they'll be able to tell you what you're qualified for as far as a career path. But those are the big things, you know, um, is just talk to a recruiter and be in shape and be motivated. You know, um, if it's something you want to do, then you should be excited about doing it. And you want to, you know, as I said, I led troops in basic training. And you could tell the soldiers, civilians who became soldiers, who showed up that were motivated and really wanted to be there um, versus some of them. Not everybody makes it, right? They try, um, but there's a small percentage that join and they don't make it through basic training. Um, so, you know, really, you have to want it, and that's what I would say uh, in response. Well, that is appreciated. The yeah. entire time you've dedicated to this conversation is appreciated. Your career of service is appreciated, and thanks really doesn't go uh, far enough in this case, but that's all I have to say is thank you for your time, Wes. Thank you, Scott. appreciate your support. This program is only possible with the support of guests that care about helping others find their calling. If you or someone you know would be interested in sharing, please email us at cdl at stopclowningaround.com. What do you want to be when you're older? When you're big and a little bit bolder, what do you want to be?